It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder, Charlton Heston is barely in the second Planet of the Apes movie. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. And KJ. Great to have you back as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Tyler. Thanks for joining us today, Tyler. Tyler hosts the Three Films and a Podcast podcast, which takes three movies and compares them over the course of a few episodes. Tom will be joining Three Films and a Podcast to talk about Close Encounters airing on Tuesday, June 8th. Tyler conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. The first round of questions will be worth one point each and the second round of questions will be worth two points each. Then once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. KJ, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1977. The Atari video computer system, later renamed the 2600, is released alongside Combat and Indy 500. Elvis dies, and the Coneheads debut on Saturday Night Live. During all this, George Lucas releases his first Star Wars film. But today, we are talking about a Steven Spielberg movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In theaters with Close Encounters of the Third Kind includes George Burns' Oh God, Disney's Pete's Dragon, and Saturday Night Fever. Tom will be quizzing us today. Tom, what is Close Encounters of the Third Kind all about? So Close Encounters looks at Indiana, and there's a, a man there played by Richard Dreyfus. His name is Roy Neary, and he has not exactly a Close Encounter of the Third Kind, but he encounters extraterrestrials in a spacecraft, as does a, a, a nearby woman played by Melinda Dillon, and her, her character's uh, Julianne. And um, the people who encounter the spacecraft in their day-to-day their -day life, they become obsessed with it. And as the movie progresses forward, uh, Roy becomes absorbed with finding whatever this thing is. And he starts kind of sculpting this, this image in his head. And we see Melinda Dillon's character drawing it. Um, and it's ultimately revealed that the aliens are coming to Wyoming. And it's a Devil's Tower, right? That's the name of the location. Um, they, they're going to land a Devil's Tower. And so uh, those two decide that they're going to throw everything aside and find these extraterrestrials. KJ, if you had one word to describe Close Encounters, what would it be? Boom, ba, boom. <laughs> Is that one word? <laughs> I, I, I don't speak close encounters. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? Who knows how many words that yeah. is? That's true. It could be three syllables. Yeah. <laughs> Nick? Auditory. Tyler? Quintessential. And my word would be mystical. It's time for question one. What is the occupation of Bob Balaban's character, David Lawton? Locked in. Who? Not Richard Dreyfus. No, it's the um, guy who is with Francois Truffaut. Okay. Phoebe's father. Got it. Locked in. I'm going to say locked in. Wait, hold on. Are we talking about Bob Balaban's character? Mm-hmm. 
he was the one that was with Francis Truffaut the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm off to a great start. Well, I'm locked <laughs> in with what the answer I had was. So I'll run. All right, man. It. Hopefully I got it right. All right. Um, so Tyler, you're up first. Oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, Nick is up first because he locked in last. I'm blanking on who Bob Balaban is. But he's the guy, guy. So I'll I'll help you out. He was the <laughs> no, guy. No, no, no. Had... I still have an answer. Oh, okay. Go but for tell it. me, tell me. <laughs> I was gonna say he he was the guy who was translating French. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Oh, okay. I was assuming oh. there was a guy in the desert who said what his or not desert, but in Mexico said what he actually was, not a translator. And I was assuming that was Bob Balaban because I didn't know who Bob Balaban was. Mm-hmm. He is a cartographer. All right, KJ, you're up next. So in before I answer, I gotta say, so audience, we've discussed this before in a very similar format, but not on this show. It was another show that never aired. And I, I'm going to get confused with the conversation we had then and the conversation we had now. So excuse me if it sounds like I'm repeating myself because I am. He was a cartographer. Yes, that's my answer. But when he's first on the screen, I thought it was Richard Dreyfus. So I was so confused for... I don't know how long. Why is he in the desert sometimes? Why is he back in Wyoming sometimes? Flipping back and forth. Can he speak French? It, I was a little confused, but cartoon. It's audience. okay. I, I was going to say, also KJ, has a I thought he, yeah, well, I thought he was Steven Spielberg. So. <laughs> um, this is going wonderfully. <laughs> so, think about it. Put the beard on him. You can see there was a, he had glasses. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he could have been Spielberg. That's trying to get in his own movie, you know? This is hilarious to me because. In a similar fashion, I had Bob Balaban and Richard Dreyfus switched. So I, the answer I locked in was for Richard Dreyfus's character, who is a linesman. And that's, I, the whole movie up and like, even still right now, I'm like, this is a Berenstein Bears moment for me <laughs> because I'm like, I, I kept thinking the whole time. I'm like, why is Richard Dreyfus top billing? He's barely in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just had it wrong. And so that's uh, somewhat embarrassing, but also hilarious. I'll take the L, even though I did know it when it comes down to it. But obviously I didn't know it well enough. But uh. All right. Yeah, fair enough. He is a cartographer. Yeah. And so I, I want to talk about this idea of kind of journey, right? There's, there's this motif of, of journey that's going on here. Both It's both a motif and it actually is literally happening in this and the fact that the really the first character we meet who is kind of introducing us to this 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 extraterrestrial world this other plane of we could call it existence or other plane of of acknowledgement he is a map maker right or a map reader a map he's somebody who translates maps into languages we can understand and i was wondering what people thought of this kind of this idea of the journey that these these characters interact with. So I'll start by saying uh, Steven Spielberg is a master of his craft, right? I, we're we're doing Close Encounters, and it's a movie that I honestly hope I never see again. It's <laughs> I really I don't like it that much. But when I'm watching it, you can't help but watch it. And part of it is because of how Steven Spielberg lays everything out, which includes the cartographer going to the desert, seeing the planes, creating the intrigue, and then. He loses, the cartographer loses his, not his skill, but um, his purpose, right? He immediately is upset that now he's translating French to English, is it? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, English. it's not really German, right. yeah. No, well, because at one point they do like an I Love Lucy, like that guy talks oh, to that guy. Oh, it's Spanish, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I love how uh, Steven Spielberg is, is letting the audience know, like, you're going to see something extraterrestrial. You're, the, the map is going to be important. It, it's what you're trying to bring up here, Tom. It's being shown to the audience right away through his character. And it's just, it's wonderfully done. It really gets you right into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting to have someone who is a map maker and is supposed to be the one that charts unknown territory, right? And it gets to a point where what we're trying to chart and what we're trying to, uh, uh, I guess, create a map for is like so beyond our understanding and our scope it's just it's it's interesting to see such well played plans such well laid plans and such professionals who are ex absolute masters of their crafts at the end of this it's all for nothing because they're completely out of their element and i like i like how we have the foundation of all these people who uh are supposed to know what they're doing and supposed to be the ones that like we are the ones that we're going to communicate with these people we're going to figure out the way that you know what these tones mean and what 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 this all means and then in the end we're just uh, kind of like i don't know <laughs> you know I, I think that's a, it's an interesting i never thought about it in that in that way until you mentioned the journey and i think that's interesting the most literal journey in this film is that of roy neary he goes from somebody who clearly isn't happy with his place in life. I mean, he's not winning any father of the year awards. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, there's some rough parenting in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's looking for any reason to get out there. It just happened to be E.T., I think. But anyway, and, and he's not a professional map maker by any means, but he is a hobbyist modeler, modeler I guess is the term. Mm -hmm. And his map comes through his vision. He gets obsessed with creating that tower, that structure, and he doesn't know what it is. But it's funny how that that's the way his vision of where his destination was gonna be came to him. So I thought that part of the literal journey of, of visualizing it versus actually going out and following this map, which really is just the model, brings us to the fruition of actually the encounter. So his is quite literally the biggest journey in this film. Yeah, it's it's physical and it's also um, it's it's endowed, right? It's it's a kind of knowledge that's given to him, and it's you know it, it reminds me of like uh, Saint Paul on the road to Damascus. He's on this journey and he's knocked down and set on you know a, a, another journey. He's given this kind of knowledge that suddenly hits him, and then he has to to go forth on this this new adventure. So I want to bring this up before we get too far into this because th this actually happened the last the last time we did this. What versions did everybody watch? <laughs> ah, good point. Good, yeah. I watched the, uh, I think it's like the extended director's cut or something. Oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> uh -oh. So so was there an ending where you saw the inside of the spaceship? Uh, no. Like where okay. would they okay. go, where we go That's inside good. of the spaceship? And you, yeah, you go inside the spaceship and you see what it looks like inside the spaceship. No, I did not see any of that. Okay, so you saw the director's cut? Yes. With the extended, the director's cut. There's three I could, cuts. <laughs> I could find out real quick. <laughs> so there's there's three versions. There's the, the original version. There's a special edition, which goes into the spaceship at the end. And then there's the director's cut, which I think is what 
um, all you guys watched. And the mm -hmm. biggest difference between the original and the uh, director's cut is I think they establish in the original that Richard Dreyfus is an okay dad and he's good at his job. He actually gets a mini promotion in one of the scenes hmm. that's not in the other one, um, that's not in the director's cut. Um, in the original, right before he makes the uh, mashed potato mold, he mm. actually has dinner with the family. And like you, you see how they would have functioned before he starts losing it. So I know, Nick, you had just said he's not winning Father of the Ward, but I think the different versions lean a little bit differently. Um, huh. Yeah, definitely the version I had, there was no glimmer of him being happy with his um, suburban lifestyle, I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> same. I did not get that vibe at all. And I watched the director's cut. So. Yeah, I, I did too. I Yeah, I, I don't, it's, it's, I don't know if I'd say he's, a bad father or anything like that. It's just, it's it's a life that doesn't kind of possess him, right? It's, it's a life he sort of fell into. And even if he is a good father, and it, I, I really would say that with the, the director's cut, like the evidence might not be there one way or another. It's still, it's still, um, there's still no passion in that life, right? And I think that's the difference between um, being kind of possessed to, to find this thing, to, to kind of ascend to this thing and, um, you know, and, and kind of living, you know, your day-to-day -day existence. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily. I think it's more disinterested, Tom. Um, I wasn't saying bad, he's. Bad, even if he doesn't want to help his kids with fractions or something like that. Um, uh, I have you know, a different read. Yeah. I don't I think don't, that's what I don't was know suited if he's for him. Disinterested that, either. I, I think he it's just a different type found of, of life. Yeah. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I think, think he like was he was definitely bored. I think, you know, the uh, at yeah. the beginning that we get the get the sense that he he seems mm -hmm. to be a passionate person and someone who can become absorbed in his work, and we see that like he's, we get the idea that he's been uh, ignoring his family on the weekends mm -hmm. in order to build this model train set because he seems to be an obsessive type that once he locks in he locks in, and then he gets fed this vision of this crazy mountain mm -hmm. or whatever it is and that becomes his new possession so the only thing we see of him is dealing with him trying to deal with his obsessions versus his responsibilities and so i i'm with you nick i don't get the vibe that he's the most attentive father but i, I think really what's happening is we're just only seeing him in in the in, in his fits of passion i guess you could say it's time for question two what option does Richard Dreyfus's character, Roy Leary, give to his children for their night out? Locked in. Locked in. I don't remember this at all. Is this the scene where he's grabbing everybody and get in the car, get in the car, get in the car? No, no, this is a little before that. He gives them an option also between two things. You do this or that. That's oh, options. Well, I already locked in, but I didn't have two things. Oh, okay. Uh, That'll be interesting to see what you say. <laughs> I can support it too. Cool. Um, lock locked in, I guess. All right. What is it, buddy? <laughs> so Richard Dreyfus gives his kids the two options of uh, doing fractions or, um, you know, playing with the model train. I, I have no idea. All right. That's what you want to do with your night out. Fractions or model train. Nick, what do you have? Okay, what I think you were going for 
was the wife says, you promised us last weekend that you'd take us to the movies this weekend. And the kids wanted to play some kind of, I, I think it's like miniature golf, but he didn't give them an option. He said, we're going to Pinocchio. I grew up on Pinocchio. Your young kids, we're going to Pinocchio. Okay. Tyler, what do you have? Uh, I agree and disagree with Nick. I, he, I, I remember him giving both options. And yeah, he said, we can either go to Pinocchio or we can play a round of mini golf with a bunch of people and standing in lines and a lot of pushing and shoving. And so he's, he's trying to coerce them into picking Pinocchio because he loves it from his childhood. But yeah, I can't, I can't remember. It was some sort of mini golf galaxy golf or something. They yeah. Called it. Goofy golf. Goofy golf. golf. Goofy golf. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick coming through. All right. And the points are going to Nick and Tyler and he does. I, I'm giving Nick the point. Um, also the goofy thing was a, a good catch. Um, but he does give them the option and he's and he kind of does his sarcastic Richard Dreyfus thing. I took and, it as not really an option, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But they all exactly. shout goofy golf. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's only in the director's cut. Oh interesting. Really? What happens in the the other ones? So it looks like in the in the original, they're all kind of playing with the train, which mm. Also was kind of I was kind of confused when you guys were saying he's obsessed with the train. I'm like, no, they were all in the room. They were all hanging out together when he was doing that. Um, and then you it saw just a fades. different movie. <laughs> I think it's a, this is a Blade Runner situation. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it just fades to black or whatever. It doesn't. Uh... Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> we're kind of coloring this, and yeah, bring bring the uh, the alternative picture of of the family. Um, we talked a little bit about this. I brought this question up because I, I did want to talk about the kind of the baseline from where uh, Dreyfus's character starts to where he goes. We talked a little bit about this. Let's talk about his relationship with his wife, um, played by, I already forgot her, Terry Carr, Phoebe's mom. So we have Phoebe's mom and dad in this movie. Um, and I, I like one of the scenes I found interesting. I don't know, KJ, if this is in the... Uh, <laughs> In the, the cut you saw. Um, I have a hint. Watch the copy of the guy who's doing the questions watching. Yeah, that's, a, that's oh, I should have told you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the, the scene that I, I found especially interesting was when he's in the bathroom, when he has kind of a breakdown and he, and he locks himself in the bathroom um, and she just refuses to hug him. And, you know, I, I was wondering what people thought of that scene because that is a really interesting scene. I, I don't, I don't think I've seen another kind of interpersonal relationship in a Spielberg movie that has that, that that's that difficult in terms of sympathy. And I was wondering what people thought of that. I was surprised to see a lot of this stuff in this movie. You know, my experience with Spielberg is a lot more, um, you know, he likes to deal with the, the sort of uh, 19 whatever's nuclear family dynamic, mm -hmm. like with ET and whatnot. Um, but I was surprised to see the level of, uh, I guess, uh, drama and animosity or the level of a, uh, just the amount of it that there was in mm -hmm. this movie as far as like the family infighting and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I just got the sense that, you know, this guy is taking out, I don't know if he, you know, thinks of his job as a dead end job or he thinks of his position in life as boring or too normal or ordinary but it seems that he's taking that out on her and she's just sort of at her wits end and she's seeing something he is seeing something that she literally hasn't seen and can't comprehend and she takes it as like he's just 
he seems to be losing his mind and she has no sympathy for it because I think she just thinks it's some new obsession of his and he's shirking his duties. And that was, that was a tough scene. I, I don't, I, I forget that they were the same scene where she won't hug him afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, if I were her, I wouldn't have either. Cause he looked like he looked crazy, <laughs> you know, and he looked, it, I'm sure she was scared, you know, she's terrified. It's a terrifying situation to be in. It's a very awkward scene too, even just yeah. to watch. So you're like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because she just doesn't she has no real sympathy for him, um, you know, and like you're saying, he's kind of shirking his duty like he, he is this, uh, you know, he has this this role to perform and he's lost his job now quite mm-hmm. quickly, it, it seems. Um, and there's something that's well, hang happening. On, hang on, him. hang on, hang on. So this scene's not in the original. I just <laughs> point out. But what do you mean he lost his job? He loses his job in the director's cut. I got to look and see if that happened in this. Yeah, so in the in the director's cut he gets fired. She Terry Gar's character gets a phone call saying that he's, you know, they don't want to talk to him um and and he's done. He's been fired from his job. And then in in this scene, which is also not in the uh the original theatrical release, um he locks himself in the bathroom and is sitting in the shower with the water on him fully clothed and she <laughs> yeah fully clothed and uh she kind of knocks on the door and and she eventually gets in the door and he kind of tells her i don't know what's happening to me and uh he comes out and he asks he just like can you ho- hold me can you hold me and she's like no 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 and she she refuses and it's a very um it's a very uncomfortable mm-hmm. scene Sounds because it's awful yeah he's he's doesn't he he's kind of i don't know crushed under the weight of this knowledge and she just doesn't get it and she you know she doesn't want anything to do with it um but it's yeah it's it's probably one of the biggest differences from what i could tell between i'm surprised that it's not in the original edition because that was a big scene for me personally that really sort of revealed the level or the extent to which he was willing to go to find like He's chasing the dragon here, right? Like he's seen the aliens. He's been literally touched by them through the sunburn they give him. And so he's sitting there under scalding hot water. He's got an orange light bulb in the, in the, in the, um, out that light, what, what's the socket, <laughs> the light socket so that it, you know, has the same color that the aliens had, mm-hmm. had shown on him. And so, I mean, this poor guy is just trying everything he can to, relive this moment or find some some peace in it and or make any sense mm-hmm. of it and i'm surprised that that wasn't in the actual cut because that, that was a big moment for me personally yeah i, I imagine it's just too too difficult yeah. right it, it um she doesn't she I, I know you think he doesn't come off well. I don't think she comes off well. In I don't think I, I don't think most people in this movie come off very well to be honest like there's a lot of tough like i said a lot of tough parenting yeah. a lot of tough Mm-hmm. There, there's some there's some things that happen in here that seems like uh would only happen in the 70s maybe i don't know <laughs> like different times yeah yeah there there is this there's this idea of leaving things behind that's going on in this movie um melinda dillon's character maybe is a little different because she she's looking yeah. for her son but she's still possessed with the same knowledge she's still driven towards this towards this ascent to to find these things that part of it too is she also wants to find her child so it's, it's maybe a her her incentive is a little more 
recognizable, we could say, but there's still this, this kind of great passion towards something, towards a type of understanding that isn't rational or, or can be articulated. And it's, and we're watching that kind of both from the outside and from the inside. And thinks what, what's so great about how Spielberg does that last scene is that we understand kind of the wonder. Right? It's, it's hard to describe. We don't really know what the aliens want. We're never told or have that kind of experience of, of what they're doing. Um, but it's it's people who have or, or are, and namely Roy, ascending a sort of um, a, a sort of rational, empirical understanding of their circumstance into a, into a, a, a revealed knowledge. Right. And, you know, and I think that that scene that kind of where he's you know in scalding hot water and like you're saying trying to relive that right trying to trying to relive sinai so to speak um that kind of just shows how uh almost how like terrifying or even unfair that that kind of endowment yeah. might be it seems like something like oh, yeah i would want to be touched by an alien you know i would want to be touched by god sure. right <laughs> you know like like event you know what happens to the saints so all the saints they, you know, a lot of them die and, and die quite brutally. Um, you know, this doesn't happen to Roy. He eventually transcends, but presumably so do the saints, right? Eventually they, that part of their life, that, that fleshy part of their life dies. It gets stripped away. And that kind of happens to this guy here. Uh, at the end of round one, we have Nick with two points, Tyler with one point, and KJ with one point. Hi, Tom here. Uh, I'm just recording a quick ad for Mike's Gasoline and Repair. Um, Mike just wanted to let all our listeners know that his gas station and shop and restaurant and bar, uh, and, and all, all those things, all those things are open now, right down on Route 54. He's he's got it going, um, and if you go up to the gasoline bar, it's a really unique experience. Uh, you, you can get gasoline right there. You can sit down. It's it's outside with a few friends. They have these uh, frosted mugs um, that they put the gasoline right into, so you could swig back a, a nice pint of really cool gasoline um mike is now selling at the bar um super unleaded so this is this is for a limited time only is super unleaded gasoline now with nitro so it, it's not carbonated like normal gasoline but this has this is nitrogen bubbles in it in order to make the taste a little smoother. It goes down really nicely. It's like a Guinness, but it's gasoline. So if you really ever wanted to have a gasoline-flavored Guinness, come down to Mike's on, on Route 54, and uh, you'll, you'll just, you'll have some of that, and you will drink it, and there you go. Um, uh, that also, right now, uh, you could get one with Mike's moderately sized sausage sandwich. Uh, it, it's not too small. It's it's not too big. It's really a good 
a good size. Um, people think that bigger is better. And it's, it's not really. Bigger is not always better. What you want is a good sized sausage sandwich with a, with a gasoline that kind of tastes like Guinness. So come down to Mike's Gasoline and Repair for those lovely treats. And we're back. Tyler, we're at the pivotal point of our episode where we ask the guest a key question. If you could watch this movie with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? It's a really good question. And it's the question I've been most afraid of this entire time because it would like I've become very accustomed over the past few years to watching everything by myself whether it's in the theater or uh, my newest preferred method of watching a movie is on my laptop with headphones, kind of in my own little zone there. And so when I think of this question, I'm like, well, really, I don't want to watch it with anyone. (laughs) It's just, I've just become sort of uh, secluded in that way. But I talk about it on my pod all the time. And and Thomas and I have talked about this a little bit. Uh, My grandfather was a great source of uh, inspiration for my taste in movies. And he introduced me to a lot of stuff that, really shaped the way I look at stuff and shaped my sense of humor and all that. So if I have to pick someone, I'll pick my grandpa. And I actually just visited my grandparents last week and I watched a movie with him and it was kind of perfect because he's got hearing aids now and they just connect straight to the TV. So we can't, nice. we can't talk to each other. So he, I can turn up the TV as loud as I want. He can have it as loud as he wants in his ears and we can both watch and then discuss. And so that was just about perfect for me. And and not to sound too antisocial, I'll watch movies with anyone, but typically it's by myself. So I'll go, I'll go with grandpa. Uh, of course we have to ask, what movie did you guys watch? So we watched Captain Fantastic. He watches a lot of movies. Wow. Um, and so we were cruising through um, Netflix and he, he, he has seen just about everything. He's had a Netflix subscription since it started, you know, getting the DVDs for as long as I can remember. Um, and so we came upon, upon that one. I was like, oh, that's filmed. A lot of that was in Portland. And, you know, he doesn't know, you know, he hasn't been up to Portland too often. And so he's like, yeah, let's check it out. And so we watched, uh, we watched Captain Fantastic. I thought it was just Captain Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one with uh, Aragorn living out in the woods with his kids? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was a cool movie. It was fun, but oh, I didn't. Right. It, towards the end, it fell apart for me. But that's a whole different podcast. You know what scene was startling in that <laughs> when they're you know the, so the, the movie is that he's out in the woods raising his kids and he's doing a, a fantastic job, right? These kids are the best yeah. of the best, and they come back into civilization, so to say, and they go to like a DMV or something, or maybe maybe yeah. somebody breaks their arm. I forget exactly but they're in the waiting room and other people are around and they, you know, they look like you and me and the kids are like, what's wrong with all these oh. people? Right. They, cause they, yeah. they, they don't look like they could survive <laughs> in the woods and, and they can't run a mile or anything like that. And they're like, why would anybody want to be like that? And you just kind of look down and, and was, you're like, Oh yeah. What am, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> they just show everyone in the waiting room, just all fat. They look a lot like me. It was very personally, I was very hurt. <laughs> oh, you thought it was captain fantastic until that scene is what you're telling me, right? I was, I was too attacked. It, it, it hit me too personally. I couldn't, I couldn't be on board anymore. Tyler, do you know if your grandfather's seen Close Encounters? Um, I would be surprised if he hadn't. Uh, but I sh- I should have asked him. Any thoughts on what he would think about it? I think you know I think he would enjoy it. He he's got, I mean I think he's got good taste. In fact, I've recommended some stuff to him 
that he did not like. And he didn't tell me. He would never tell me. But he told my grandmother, who told my mother, who then told me. And so I <laughs> the whole chain. Yeah. I uh I've my whole life I've called him Bompa. He's been my Bompa. And so I'll get like Bompa did not like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for question three. Where is the famous musical motif first heard? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, KJ, you are going first. All right, so this is a great time to bring up the Blu-ray menu. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have the actual Blu-ray, but the Blu-ray menu is great. Um, it's It looks like that board towards the end of the movie, and they're kind of cutting in different things, but they're playing the song the whole time. I left it on mm -hmm. the whole day while I was working, just the Blu-ray menu over and over and over again. Um, so if you have the Blu-ray, that's the first time you'll hear it. But um, <laughs> in the movie, I, this is an audio-only podcast, so I don't think we can answer this question. Okay, KJ is pointing up. <laughs> so apparently the song was first heard in the direction up. I why not whatever um tyler i think you. well i think i know where he's going with this uh because i thought it was the first time i remember hearing it was when they sing it in the desert in india and they ask where did you hear it and everyone points up uh mm -hmm. so is that what you meant yeah Kate? that's where they said right the first time it was heard by humans was mm -hmm. the sky the first time right? we hear it is it's through their okay. voice oh yeah. that's true 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 yeah. exactly yeah, that's the first time we hear it so my answer was india Okay, very good. That's I'm going to give points to everybody. Uh, points to all. All right. And yeah, that was uh, Dharmsala in northern India. And it's kind of uh, recounted as this this chant. They record everybody chanting it. What a gorgeous scene yeah, that is. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, you know, it's it's you see everybody who is in, um, I think they're in yellow, right? And they're they're out in this this field and they're they're singing the um, you know the, the famous chord progression. And um, and all of the the French and Americans are walking in between them, and they're all in white, and uh, you know they they're kind of coming up the mountain, um, you know, and then it has this like great bit of humor that Kate you're referencing, where they say, "Where did you hear it?" and, and the, everybody points up, and the, the camera is at a level where you can only see their hand uh, gesturing up to the sky, which is this like lovely little joke that's put in there. And again, Spielberg, master of his craft, he sets up the joke. It takes a while, right? Where did you hear this? Oh, come <laughs> with me. And it takes them a while to walk all the way up that big hill so he can ask <laughs> the question so they can all point up, right? It, it, it's that slow progression towards that answer that really punches that, that punchline. That was a great scene. And that's one of the reasons my word was auditory because the famous parts of this film for me were the uh, sensory stimulation. You know, that that's really what got me. That scene, and of course, at the end, but really this is where it begins. This, and it's not just the noise that we hear from space. It's also the chanting and the celebration yeah. of, of the people that are experiencing mm -hmm. it. This is an amazing scene. And I actually had the volume up pretty loud when I heard this scene and it, it blew me away. Yeah. I. I think uh, I had the, I had a similar experience with this scene in that it it really jumps out at me and I think the reason for me was speaking about sound design specifically there's a lot of noise in this movie like most there's a lot of conversations that we're hearing 
two conversations simultaneously or there's a tv very loud in the background or there's a kid murdering their doll on their crib loudly in the background (laughs) there's just always some sort of noise happening and it's sort of this like constant white noise and then we get to this scene and it's just the the tones the alien tones that they're chanting jump out so specifically and they cut through that noise so um pointedly that uh it it it, you know it is it's jarring it's shocking and it is beautiful and it really feels like you feel like you're transcending to some degree because for me it was like we're escaping all of this other noise and now we're hearing this one Mm -hmm. sort of sort of familiar but also foreign sound and and what does it mean and why do they all know it and 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 so on and so forth but yeah it's it's a it's a cool moment for sure yeah it has the feeling of of a religious ceremony right, right? it has a, that that kind of those sense yeah. that you you're there um yeah it's lovely and it's uh it also you really feel um Vilmos Zygmunt, I think was the name of the cinematographer. It was also Altman's cinematographer mm. for movies such as McCabe and Mrs. Miller. So that kind of, his, that kind of um, single shot movement thing that he does a lot in, in uh, the end of McCabe and Mrs. Miller is, is here, um, which we're going to do that movie. That movie's great. It's one of my favorites. Um, have you guys done that or seen that? I've never seen it. it. No, yeah. no. Oh, that's Put a great it on movie. the list. But, yeah, bring me on <laughs> okay, for that. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll go on and on. Yeah. Um, but I also brought this up just because it introduced kind of the aliens and, and the the role they have in this movie. Obviously, they're the, the thing that prompts, you know, the conflict and whatnot, but how they are how, how they are depicted in in people's lives, and then maybe more broadly how Spielberg works with aliens in, in his movies throughout his career. The thing that I think about when I think of Spielberg and aliens, because when I, before I saw this movie, so the first time I saw this movie was last night. Uh, That was my first time ever seeing this one. So, and I always, in my mind, knew it as a very scary movie and it's tense. It has, it has some very tense moments, Mm -hmm. but I thought of it as more of like a horror film. And I thought like bad things were going to happen. And so I was very on edge for most of it. And then when we get to the end, and it's that's not the case you know things turn out more or less okay yeah some people uh you know were gone for a while but they're fine they're back you know they'll they'll assimilate we (laughs) hope and then uh our boy not bob balaban hops on and he's gonna go for (laughs) his adventures but um i just kept thinking i was like man spielberg loves these aliens like he he treats (laughs) them he he really loved like i just get the sense that he he, he truly cares about them and it's the same with et you know like he 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 really treats them with great care and with great wonder and he doesn't vilify them even though he shows uh the discomfort around them from a human perspective you know we don't understand them and we don't know what they're going to do to us and what they want from us but i just get the sense that he loves aliens he must have been obsessed with them as a kid and he just he 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 just wants to take care of them and and uh, I don't know. I just I get a, a a feeling of love from him with regards to his alien creatures. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a yeah like a feeling of wonder. Yeah. Right. As opposed to a threat, and it, it's I think a little different from from E. T. E. T. It's it's the the alien is humanized in E. T. Right. Right. So it's it's more like us. It's it's kind of like a, a smart dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. E. T. Is in in this 
we we do see them at the end a little bit and we see that one i guess we could call him the adult alien yeah. um you know uh, standing up and, and and all that type of thing um but they they're they're this uh they're almost like a lovely sensation like something that stands in for a, a place where you could put your affection yes yeah. right and then you could put your wonder they're, they're almost like filmmaking itself what film can do for you there's that kind of metatextual observation i guess i'm putting in there um or you know what what god is for for a lot of people right that kind of experience of the divine um and which is probably a lot like an experience of great art where it's not where when you really enjoy great art or really when you really have this effective experience of like a a divine figure be it christ or you know one of the saints or whatnot um it, it's never really describable in terms that you normally use to describe things right it's it's sort of always beyond words and the great movies are always beyond words and the great experiences are always beyond words and spielberg in his kind of you know i don't think he's yet 30 when he made this movie i, I think he was like sure. 29 28 yeah something like that so he's like this little prodigy who who's able to get that feeling uh, you know of, of what it must be to have kind of to be shocked by by great experience into i think that last scene so pulling that thread a little bit and, and I, I think i have a mm. good punchline here so what other spielberg <laughs> movies have aliens in them right oh, so War close encounters et world of the worlds are kind of threatening they're not yeah War of the world he kind of changed he also did i think 1984 is that have aliens in it and then of course um part four of indiana jones part right? five or, is no part is it part, part four? four? I don't part count four, that movie. Four, yeah. That movie doesn't yeah. exist. Does, do we, do we, yeah, no, there's it. there's a trilogy of Indiana <laughs> does, does Jones. Does he have that same That's love it. and affection? Is that no? Are those aliens I, Christ-like? To us? No, that, uh... I, I don't think so. And I think in like War of the Worlds, he even said that until that point, he only actually KJ. If I can answer you seriously though, they actually were somewhat founders of humanity. They were treated like gods. They, they were treated like that's gods. That's true. They were religious. If, we have to, yeah, if you well, really make me analyze yeah, the crystal skull. <laughs> and I'm sorry, yeah. Tyler, if we're spoiling this no, for true. you a little bit here, but they, they did have that. They did have that going on. I thought about this a lot yesterday, the difference how he treats his aliens in War of the Worlds versus uh, how he does an E.T. and Close Encounters. And I completely forgot my point. And it was a good point too, fellas. <laughs> so... <laughs> you're missing out if i can remember yeah. maybe i'll try and shoehorn it in back post. in but um because nice. i did i mm -hmm. i did think about that i you know because it it is it is different and but i got the sense from war of the worlds like gosh it's been a long time since i saw it but it, yeah. it seemed to be uh more of a human issue in war of the worlds and it was the aliens if i remember right but i i mean i could be com mm -hmm. speaking completely out of turn because i don't i don't really remember it, it's he's a father who's divorced and it, it seems like he's a pretty crappy father right like he he's Can't not gonna direct us but we have to realize we have to realize that this was at a different point in spielberg's career as well we're talking about 2005 compared to what 77 I mean, there was a lot of, it's just at a different point. So I, I think a lot of our thoughts when we're looking more at ET or things around Close Encounters are a little bit more similar. Mm. Yeah, I, I still think I'd say ET is 
is also a different treatment. I think these are three different treatments of of aliens. One is like the friendly companion because the enemy in ET is the Yeah, but you military. also have to realize right right that which isn't the enemy the reason, here. I, yeah. I do agree with the making him more humanistic or whatever the word was you used. Don't forget ET is actually a juvenile. So he's trying to figure out this world just as much mm-hmm. as everyone else. So I think that's why it takes that tone of almost mm-hmm. a little bit more of a child's perspective. Yeah. Because of that. He's left behind. It. Yeah. And yeah. and we're also yes. getting the perspective from the kids as well. So it's ET's childish and we're also, you know, so it's it's really, you know, very much um you know, uh, very much kids kind of engaging in the wonder, which, you know, they can only do to a certain extent. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a different treatment here. The aliens are distant from us. There's something that, that Roy adores, you know, he, he's, I mean, he's clearly in love with okay. them, but the, the, yeah. Right. Like he's like, he can't stop smiling when, when he finds the ship, he's like, he can't stop chasing these things. He gives up everything to find them. And he's overjoyed that he gets to go, go with them but we barely see them right we know nothing about these things even even when they come out of the ship they're kind of in shadow right and, and that kind of distancing effect elevates them above us you know it, it's it's the heart rising up towards something beyond itself well with et it's sort of the the kids um it's been a while since i've seen et but et is somebody who's uh helps them kind of also maybe I don't want to say find their own humanity, but they sort of end up taking on the responsibility of taking care of ET, right? So they end up engaging in the human world more thoroughly because you know they, they want to protect this 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 innocent creature from these these bad men. Um, and then War of the Worlds, it's just, you know it's we're going to blow up the world because aliens need resources or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's a it's a fun movie, but it doesn't have that. It, it's not as interesting as the the earlier. Two. Yeah, I don't remember it very well, but. <laughs> uh my favorite part of war of the worlds is none of the cars work they just <laughs> the aliens disabled but tom cruise figures out if you replace the spark plugs you can mm-hmm. use the car and he's the only one because well, it was like out. one emp yep. right yeah, like <laughs> yeah you just mm-hmm. replace the spark plugs we could get out all the cars back that's why only mm-hmm. tom cruise could. Yeah. yeah leave it well, to tom cruise it, yeah <laughs> i always do it's, it's not working out well for me <laughs> it's time for Question four. When Francois Truffaut's character Claude Lacombe asks, what did you expect to find to Roy? What does Richard Dreyfuss's Roy say? Locked in. Oh no, am I going to lose the episode here? Nick might lose the episode. He was so close to victory. And it's so (laughs) very rare for him. Lately, yes. KJ might stumble into the lead. Which has been I, his season I don't know. Two. Tyler might come in for the <laughs> oh, late episode steal here, but I, I'm locked in. I'm locked. Yeah, in. or you or Tyler. I don't remember at all, but and I don't think I can blame this one on the uh, director's cut. <laughs> 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 uh, locked in. All right, KJ, what do you have? Um, that the woman in the T-bird from American Graffiti. <laughs> I don't. I have no idea what he was looking for. Fair enough. <laughs> the woman you in the T-shirt. You mean Susan Sarandon? Sarandon? Yeah. Oh, Summers. Yes, Susan yeah. Summers. That's right. Summers. He looked him in the eye and said, "Susan yep. Summers." Yes. So Roy from Close Encounters of the Third Kind is looking for Susan Sarandon. 
Well, that was my answer. So just... <laughs> All right. I think, Nick, did you lock in second? I believe so. I don't think there was an audible response. I think he just looked at him dumbfounded. All right, Tyler, what do you have? He, he said he was looking for answers or the answer. I think it was answers. That's what I remember. Oh, no! Points go to Tyler. Yeah. All right. Oh. Yeah, and so you win. He was slow playing oh. this. Oh. Oh. He's a full sense of security. Yeah, very good. Yeah, he... Uh-huh. See, my team off screen is very happy. Uh, Pulled it out. Yeah. Once he and, figured and... out who Richard Dreyfus was. <laughs> Unstoppable. Once we got past that little kerfuffle. Yeah. That he didn't say anything do. to Lacombe. <laughs> yeah. Something in French? Bob Balaban yeah. said it. Uh, yeah, so the, That's so embarrassing. The exact quote is an answer. That's not crazy, is it? Mm. Mm. All right, there we go. Um, and so I bring this up. I mean, we covered a lot about this, about the pursuit, about the, the idea of the journey. Um, I'm actually kind of interested. What do you guys think Roy wants? Like, how would you articulate what this guy wants? I think he wants out, man. I think he, I think he just wanted purpose, you know, mm-hmm. like we've talked about it uh, at length, fairly at length. And, you know, I mean, look, I don't, I don't make model trains or model anything, but like, I, he's trying to build his own worlds. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that seems to be what you would do if you were building model trains. You're interested in building these worlds that you can explore with your trains, right? And so he just, he, he's bored with his life. He's bored with his job. Well, he's fired, so he doesn't have a job. Uh, I don't think he has, he has any sense of purpose. And I think, I think he's found it, whether he wanted it to be his purpose or now he's just the the obsession has been implanted within him i think when he leaves like i think he believes that he's found his purpose when he can go jump aboard this alien craft and do some some improv jazz back and forth (laughs) (laughs) i i took it as he wants something more than what he has and that's Mm -hmm. why he was on this journey (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah do we think he had agency in this? I, on, on the last time we talked, or I brought up, is this a, a, a story of addiction? And you guys said, no, 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 it's not. So we, we don't mm. we don't need to retread that ground. But he got a taste of the aliens. And then yeah. did he have a decision about whether he wanted to hunt them or not? Was this something, like you were saying, Tom, knowledge. Was this something that hit him so hard he couldn't not do this? So it's not what he wants. It's what he has to do. I leaned in the camp of this being his personality. When he gets something on his mind, he's fixed it. I, I think Tyler brought this up a few times during this episode. That's just how this guy ticks. You know, nothing else matters except what I'm obsessed about. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say, is it a story of addiction? Because I said that he, it seems like he's chasing the dragon here mm-hmm. with the shower scene. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think he's just predisposed to obsession because there's a number of people that make the journey out to devil's tower and they end up on the same helicopter, but they aren't willing to go to the same lengths as him in order to fulfill what he sees as his journey. Right. Like he's the only one willing to risk taking off his gas mask and climb over devil's tower to see what the hell is going on over there. Um, and the only reason that um, his female counterpart, whose name I'm forgetting, the only reason she agrees to go with him is because she wants to find her son in, in my opinion. And so I think maybe 
it, to, to think about it as a story of addiction is, is interesting, but I, th- I just think he was predisposed to obsession. And so whether his addiction was forced upon him or not, I think uh, he just was an unfortunate guy that got the bug and couldn't kick it. And he just is also the type to explore his own path, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Which does sound like addiction, right? That often has a, a predisposed people who get addicted often can be predisposed to it. Yeah. Um, my, my reading was, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you mind if I quote something? Cause I think this kind of encompasses my opinion. This is from, I demand um, you quote something. You demand. <laughs> I'd prefer you. I'd prefer you. Didn't. I, I hate quotes. <laughs> Overruled. <laughs> just give us Son a of quote. It. I'm just a guest here. So. Oh, wait, he just every the, other word. He did win the episode. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but when you come on our podcast, you leave your quotes. Yes. <laughs> this is from, um, this is from the varieties of religious experience by, by William James, the, the Harvard psychologist, and he was, you know, studying religious experience, how people talk about it. And that's, that's just to let you know, that's my reading of this movie is that it's, it's, um, it's someone who's hit by religious experience. It's kind of a version of the St. Paul on the road to Damascus story. And what I like about it, I'll get to the quote in a second, but what I like about it is- I was like, when's the quote coming? Oh, this okay. is so specific. No, I told him he couldn't. <laughs> I'm going to describe the quote. Who said all this, Tom? Uh, yeah. It was Tom. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, and, and that's kind of what I like. And I found this, I was reading different books by mystics. And I actually found this from James, who's not a mystic, but he was kind of writing about those experiences. Then um, he writes- Uh, But for religion, in its strong and fully developed manifestations, the service of the highest never is felt as a yoke. Dull submission is left far behind, and a mode of welcome, which may fill any place on the scale between cheerful serenity and enthusiastic gladness, has taken its place. It makes a tremendous emotional and practical difference to one, whether one accepts the university in the drab, discolored way of stoic resignation to necessity, or the passionate happiness of Christian saints. And, yeah, and when I found that from, from James, I thought, oh, that's this movie, right? It's somebody who's, yeah, is maybe not aware he's in, you know, what James is calling the uh, the drab, discolored way of stoic resignation to necessity. Um, but, you know, when he gets hit by that light, yeah, I think he's suddenly an enthusiast. Right. That's that's where this idea of enthusiasm comes from. It's like filled with the spirit. Um, well, from a religious term, that almost would be a zealot as well. Yeah, a zealot has also kind of uh, political implications, I think. Like you think of like a is it Judas Barabbas, who is the, the zealot in in the the, the Bible story. Right, because the, the zealot, I, I believe that's true. Somebody's looking that up. It's usually has... a, uh, I'll, I'll read actually a definition. Mm-hmm. Zealot, noun. A person who is fanatical and uncompromising in pursuit of their religious, political, or other ideals. Mm-hmm. So it can be used in a political context. It can be used in a religious context. And based on your mm-hmm. quote, I'm I'm looking at more of the religious zealot, if you will. Do you think it's zealot, Mike? The way Roy acts? Fanatical and uncompromising. I, yeah. Yeah. Based on that definition, I, I'd have to agree with mm-hmm. Nick there. Yeah. For sure. When I picture a zealot, he's bringing other people with him or taking other people down to... Mm-hmm. Uh, enact his um, enthusiasm and, and by that you mean like purposely like he's yeah. purposely bringing people down because he's unconsciously bringing people right. down he 
you know, he destroys his family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good and point. And he, he brings, he brings along the woman whose name I still can't remember. It's Melinda Dillon's you know, he, character. Yeah. I can't remember her. I just remember Melinda Dillon. <laughs> oh, because, I, I am, I am curious to know whether or not she would have followed him to Wyoming if her son hadn't been missing or if, you know, she hadn't been, well, no one that she, no one else, he sees her no there. One that wasn't touched by mm-hmm. it. Oh, that's right. She goes without him. Yeah. That's right. And then they, right. they pair up because she's getting forced out yeah. into the train. Um, but there's a bunch of people who are there in Wyoming who have seen it. Right. Because there's that one guy who actually gets up the mountain with them most of the way. Right. Yeah. There's a there's like twelve people who have, you know, tried to scale it. It's time for movie rent. Um, we were talking about the song earlier. And one of my favorite things about the song is it starts with a human voice, like we said. Mm-hmm. The next mm-hmm. time we hear it, I think it's on a simple instrument. I don't remember which one. They move it from the, the voice recording in that, that kind of stadium to a, a digital thing. Well, right. And then the next step is a, a simple computer digital version. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we get what was probably one of the, a technological marvel, that, that light board. So even that song had a progression starting very human and then ending very mm. advanced technology so it was another cool beat through the movie that you get to yes yeah. yeah that that's yeah, that's interesting cool. yeah moves from the, the human voice up to the aliens the aliens right the up to, yeah. yeah ascending mm-hmm. yep yeah yeah great so. very nice no i just thought it was it i thought it, i loved that we go through this whole journey and like i said i was expecting like I was expecting like death and destruction, right? And so when it just turns into, I think I mentioned this earlier, like sort of an impromptu uh, jazz improv back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. like they've, I, I love that they have like, uh, you know, musical experts, like, oh no, go up a fifth and now hit the hit the minor or whatever it was. And, and then they're cut, they sort of like have this back and forth going with the aliens. Like I thought that was, I thought that was super fun. And I, I was, I did not expect it. So it was, it was cool that our, our conflict was through, uh, through music and not through bloodshed. <laughs> yeah. They, they talk it's true music. though. It is true. Yeah. First day of school, boys. <laughs> Has family guy or nobody mixed that scene with, um, uh, the movie where they go down the river, the book where they, Oh, oh deliverance. yeah. Yeah. yeah deliverance. Has that not mm-hmm. been, somebody must've. Oh, done it's it to the del- writer's room. Yeah, if they do, haven't, you guys a, just do, found your next piece of content. That's it. Yeah, we yeah. Finally we finally get it. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can find Well, us. we always need ads. <laughs> <laughs> so is that tone, like, is that, does that tone exist in our pop culture now after the movie? It sounds a lot like the doorbell, like, do, 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 do. You know, but like, is <laughs> yeah. that like, did, I'm because like, I'm like, do I hear, have I heard this tone before? I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't decide if this was the first time I've heard that progression of notes because it sounds like a doorbell. It kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it obviously sounds like human music, mm-hmm. um, which I think like, I don't know how you would do it any otherwise. It was almost my one weird critique is like, I wish that the notes were a little bit more alien, a little more discordant maybe, mm-hmm. you know, because they yeah. seem to make too much sense to a human or maybe they've been studying us for a long time and they know, what chord progressions we might respond to they mm. had these poor pilots and stuff for however many years in their ship so um why did they just know. teach them english <laughs> right <laughs> how does this sound that sounds like my doorbell play that they'll know it <laughs> that's a friendly sound welcome in 
Yeah, I, I think if it's like, I think if the sound to us sounds threatening or discordant, like it sounds like a bunch of just like minor seventh chords just yeah. banging away. They'll know we'll it, just shoot some missiles at them if they do that. So. <laughs> it's also just we as the moviegoers are like, uh, don't go there. You know, he's he's playing dissonant chords. You know, yeah. don't, don't, don't go over there. I think the like the, the pleasantness of the music also allows us to experience the the kind of serenity these characters are feeling in in trying to get to these aliens yeah that's fair hmm. and i just like i'm like i don't know i just couldn't get over i'm like have i heard this before like is this a thing that's exists in pop culture and is referenced because it it felt like the first time but also very familiar which i guess is probably by design so yeah there's yeah, many things that are referenced, but I don't think specifically those chords. And it was, it, even it, now, it seemed very unique when I was watching it a few years ago. I had not heard anything like that. I've seen a lot of other references from that movie that I didn't realize were from that movie. Yeah. But I did not get that direct tone. I guess maybe it speaks to like its level of popularity, right? Because people think of like people with their ringtones or whatever. You hear the the empire march you hear you you some you might even hear like a jurassic the jurassic park theme or there's a lot of i mean especially with a john williams theme you hear them a lot right and i was just surprised that i didn't feel like i'd heard this before even though it sounded familiar and i just maybe it just it didn't take hold for some reason in our in pop culture i i don't really know but yeah it's been a number of years you know since yeah. this point this movie doesn't seem to be consumed the way star wars is consumed right you know to me when i was watching this movie and it's why i picked this as my one word to describe it like this was quintessential hollywood sci-fi like when i think of like popcorn sci-fi or an adventure movie like to me this movie embodied all of those things uh and in my limited scope it's you know I i'm sure it's not it's obviously not the first sci-fi film and it's but it, to me, it seemed to be the genesis of a lot of the stuff that I grew up with, right? Um, I, I wrote that it was sort of like seeing a blueprint, like the blueprints for the house you've always lived in. You're like, oh, that's how they, that's how it all fits together. That's where they got that. You know, I, I, it, I could, I, it, it felt, it just felt like all the movies I grew up with, like I said, you know, like it felt like Jurassic Park and it felt like Apollo 13 at times. And there were shades of Independence Day and Indiana Jones and obviously E.T. Um, and so that was just, that was just really fun. I was just like, okay, I can see why, you know, they might've done this in Apollo 13 or, or you, you could just, you can just see where they got a lot of influence from. Um, and it, having said all that, in, in all honesty, I'd probably watch any of those movies before I watched this again. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. I don't think I dislike it as much as KJ seems to, but um, <laughs> for, for my taste, if I was going to watch a movie like this, I probably would watch any of those other movies. And that, that's not to insinuate this isn't as good a movie as them. It's just that I, I grew up with those movies like this movie was old to me and sort of off my radar in my house specifically by star trek my dad loved star trek um and it was overpowered by movies like the terminator and the predator um but i'm just glad that as i've gotten older my tastes and have expanded and my horizons have broadened and stuff like this is finally starting to land on my radar and it's been it's been a real treat and it's been uh the best part about starting a podcast because not only do I get to see these movies, 
but then I get to come and talk about it with uh, insightful, thoughtful people like yourselves. So again, thank you for having me. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm glad that uh, this movie this movie finally made it into my into my eyeballs. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear you use some of the language regarding movies that you have grown up with that make you think of things from this, etc. When I watched this for the first time a few years ago for our prior iteration of a podcast that never launched, my feeling with this is this was enjoyable, but I also felt it was dated just because I had waited so long to see it Mm-hmm. that I had too many things to compare to that I already cherished, similar to you, Tyler. So that was my challenge. I think if this came out in 77 and I saw it, in the, if one, if I was alive, and two, sure. if I saw it in the theater, I might have been blown away by that end sequence and the spaceship just slowly drifting off screen forever. But But I had seen too many other things that had taken that to another level or a different angle. So that was my challenge. This time I watched it, it was good because those preconceptions were out of my mind and I was really focusing on what this movie truly was in its own little bubble. But I had the same challenge. I did enjoy it. KJ, I agree. I don't necessarily need to ever see it again. Uh, (laughs) But that's why I just had too many other things that evolved from this sci-fi fantasy, I guess, Mm -hmm. that I would say. I I don't think it's true hardcore sci-fi. Uh, But yes, that's made me think of, if I didn't use the word auditory, I didn't want to use the word dated because I thought it's had a negative connotation, but that is how I felt. I agree. When you say it's not hardcore sci-fi, I 100% agree. And that's why I tried to qualify it as like Hollywood sci-fi, right? Because you think of like sci-fi, you think of stuff like Blade Runner or even like the Terminator or something, you know, something like that, uh, that's it seems to have maybe a little bit more weight to it, whether it's through the the violence or just the the thoughtful subject matter. But to me, this is like, you're going to sit down, the whole family can pick, get something out of it. You're going to eat a bunch of popcorn. And I'm sure in 1977, it sold plenty of tickets and put plenty of butts in seats. And so uh, I just, it, to me, I, the other, the other reason I picked the word quintessential is because to me, it was like quintessential Spielberg, right? I think he takes a lot of big swings here and he's like, I'm going to delve into family psychology and I'm going to delve into obsession and I'm going to delve into just wonder. And we're also going to have some aliens and some cool graphics and some cool camera angles. And so to me, it was just like, you know, I saw Indiana Jones in the desert. I, you know, I saw the, the whole when they when they uh when they see the wrecked planes it reminded me of when we first see the dinosaurs in jurassic park we're assembling our experts and they have this sense of wonder and so uh to me it was just like i just the word quintessential just kept popping in my head like this is spielberg this is hollywood this is like popcorn sci-fi and uh to me it was it, it, it seemed to be the genesis of a lot of those things yeah i i find it so much more complicated it's harder for to, to pin down there there is what's interesting about it compared to let's say that the uh, you know what, what we're calling more um more recognizable science fiction films there's so much good feeling in this mm-hmm. an entire end sequence i mean even even the military people who are trying to stop them are not really that dangerous right i mean we even find out that they're not killing the animals they're just knocking them out (laughs) you know even the animals are are not going to be treated poorly um so there's this good feeling but there's there's also 
so much more of a sense for me in this movie of of mystery um, in what actually these people are, are looking to get to, right? Because it's never articulated. With the, with right. the Terminator, it's we're, we're trying to get John Connor because he's going to save the world, you know, and we're trying to get away from the Terminator. Um, you know, in The Predator, it's we're trying to get away from the Predator, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or Indiana Jones, we're trying to get the thing away from the Nazis, you know, that type of thing. In this movie, it's they're trying to get to this place for really a reason that that's that nobody knows like they, they don't even know why they're trying to get there until they get there um and that kind of th that indulgence in the mystery you know I, I find this movie to be much more recognizable and i think this is probably obvious from my comments as as a more of a religious film than as a a, a science fiction film um and i i actually i'd say i enjoy it a lot more than later Spielberg stuff like I enjoy this movie so much more than the Indiana Jones movies um I'm, I'm probably there's probably like five, what yeah. I think there's I think there's five people in the that's world that's like my go-to trilo uh, trilogy yeah. like growing up yeah I know there's there's five people in the world who are not big Indiana Jones fans four of them are dictators and one of them is me so it's you know it's it's fine it's just the evil evil person club um but I think that's why I I appreciate this movie. However, I see what you guys are saying with like the, the Hollywood beats, and you you realize that Spielberg is such uh, is, is such a, a monster, a monster in the best sense, because his his sense of filmmaking has made Hollywood right. He is the inventor of the blockbuster, mm -hmm. and not only are those beats recognizable from this movie, but also from Jaws, right, as well the the uh, the, the original blockbuster, and. Um, and, and so it is interesting to see like this movie, which was a huge risk on the part of Columbia, right? They were like going bankrupt. They had to borrow money from another producer to make this, to get this made. And they made what, $300 million or something in, in 1977 money. They, they, they cashed out, um, you know, Jaws, which was apparently a production nightmare trying to get that, put that thing together. I can only imagine. Yeah. There was like, apparently it was just a nightmare making that movie. Like nothing ever worked. And, you know, and all these things. And to think of this kind of, um, you know, what spit and tape sort of getting things together, getting it produced, really worried all the risk that goes into it. And it becomes, you know, these two movies become these, these blockbusters. They establish almost the kind of like the genre of blockbuster, which transcends movies and it becomes marketing, right? There's, right. You know, it's a, it's a type of marketing. Um, and, and so the beats that are recognizable in early Spielberg, they just, they seem to make Hollywood. And so I, I agree with you guys on that one, even though I have to say, I'm not the biggest Indiana Jones person. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. One of my favorite uh, close encounters with the third kind story is um, I work at an office that's got a bunch of cube farms and different people have coffee machines in their, in their cube, but there's one coffee machine is in this hallway and whatever they do, they use a grinder and it's always a mess. There's just coffee grinds all over the place. And I, one day I'm finally like, guys, it looks like third encounter of the close kind back here. What is going on? And they said, is this your third encounter? Step back, step back. You're too close. You're too close. Like it was, it was a wonderful word mistake. And it was uh, <laughs> just one of my favorites. I, I was trying to figure out if you made a mistake or <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> that was a tricky story for me well, to tell. Well, KJ, it's technically the, yeah. a close encounter of right. the third like, Yeah, not the third encounter. Step back, step back. Mm -hmm. You're too close. <laughs>
I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, Tyler. I did it. The win at the end there. <laughs> yeah. Good job, man. Nicely done. Yeah. Oh, guys, check out our website, talkingpicturestrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. What is your favorite classic sci-fi film and why? Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. Have additional thoughts? Email us at TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 201-467-8679 for a chance to be featured on one of our future From the Listeners episodes. Thanks again, Tyler, for joining us today. Where can people find you? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. It's nice to see Tom again, and it was nice to meet uh, KJ and Nick for sure. Um, you can find me personally um, at uh, Bob Chillin with an underscore at the end on Twitter or Instagram. And uh, if you're interested in our podcast at all, it's Three Films Pod. Um, you can find us threefilmspod.com or on Twitter, Instagram, all that sort of stuff at, at Three Films Pod. Uh, you'll have your best luck on Instagram. <laughs> yes. And yeah, listen to it. I, I, I've been on it before. I'm going to be on it again for the, the Close Encounters episode you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. Really Convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if, Synergy. You, if you just like me, just see that, but listen to the show. It's, it's I listen to it. It's a really great show. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And you guys do a great job as well. I, I love the format. I like the trivia aspect of it. It's really cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas Lehman 15 also check out Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. It's a separate podcast in which we cover kind of extra topics on the movies and we'll be doing one for Close Encounters as well. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time when we discuss Nick's recommendation, which is my recommendation from 2018, A Quiet Place. Check it out before A Quiet Place 2 comes out in theaters on May 28th. Stay tuned for our first impressions of A Quiet Place. Should be a fun one. Talk to you then. Ding, 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 ding. The first time I saw A Quiet Place, uh, my wife and I, we went to the theater and it was the Dolby Cinema Experience or something. You guys ever heard of this? It's like, um, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Right? So it's got, it's a, supposed to be a brighter screen. I don't know. There's like 30 speakers, like the whole ceiling of speakers and the chairs have multiple rumblers in them so that you can feel different patterns of rumble and we're sitting here watching this movie and they have the rumbles going and the absolute quiet going it was terrifying it was awesome it was a great way to experience this movie um but this time i watched it i was down in my basement on a sunday morning everybody else in the house was asleep so i had it on the on the tv and my headphones plugged into the stereo and I turned off all the lights, so it was pitch dark. And I was thinking, you know, somebody's going to come down at some point. And that happened. My wife came down. So I, that, didn't, that didn't get me. That didn't get me. Um, and at some point, I went up and I made toast. And I was very conscious of every noise the knife made when it hit the counter. <laughs> the jam scraping across the bread. It, it was, I was, I don't know how those guys made it through the movie. But I, but I came down, you know, I was watching and the, my, my wife came down for the last 15 minutes and she said my eyes were just the widest she had ever seen them. And I'm like, yes, of course, it, it's a quiet place. And I immediately watched An American in Paris just to cleanse it.
wouldn't toast be a bad choice if you're trying to say as quiet as possible? <laughs> well, <laughs> First that, choice ever. <laughs> that is true. And I, that's probably why they don't eat it in the movie. No. Right? Yeah. It's, well, I, I was eating fish when I watched this for the first time. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I, I think, a better meal to stay away from sound based aliens. But, you know. What kind of fish? Um, I have a mixed, uh, well, usually salmon, um, but I have, you know, some cod. I eat a lot of tilapia, whiting, um, you know, things like that. Just for when you watch a quiet place? <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole spread. <laughs> and audience, no, 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 no remember, that's not all. <laughs> Tom is anti-popcorn. He's only bread. <laughs> so there's all this fish is on top of non-toasted, because that would be too loud, <laughs> bread. <laughs> oh, no, I, I can't have bread anymore. No, just fish. Just lots of different fish. <laughs> I had swai filet and pink oh. salmon that day. I had three, uh, I had almost four ounces of swai and about eight and a half ounces of salmon. What, what is swai? Is that like an Oscar Meyer fish or something? Is that like know. a catfish? It's like a yeah. catfish replacement oh, for some restaurants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not nice. a fan of catfish, actually. The first time I watched A Quiet Place was in the movie theaters. I was very excited about the film. And pretty much like you, when I left the theaters, you know, I just kind of whispered to my wife, like, how'd you like the movie? <laughs> and just always very quiet for a long time and it and they had that same effect the second time i watched it and the third time i watched it just it, it's it's a testament to the movie how it really impacts you how you behave uh after you finish watching the movie it's great unfortunately i don't think i ever had the true movie theater experience. And I do think that would be an amazing way to view this. And in fact, I thought it was quite interesting. One of the reasons we're, we're going into this movie is the sequel is coming out shortly. And what's interesting is even though we're at the cusp or in the middle of COVID times, they are only releasing A Quiet Place 2 in the theater. So I have a dilemma. Will I be breaking my year plus long hiatus from the theaters to go see A Quiet Place 2 in a theater with, of course, hopefully a reduced audience. My wife and I are fully vaccinated. So I, I don't yeah, know, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a legitimate question I have. Is that going to be my return to a theater? There is a chance we can go on a weekday. Uh, she has some time coming off, low, low attendance, hopefully, but we'll see. Yeah. That, that's my dilemma. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you pick a seat, it kind of like blocks out seats around you. So if you kind of don't pick your seats next to each other, but space them out like between one seat, it kind of spaces out, which is more. And then you so we'll be the only the ones in the theater. <laughs> this is the COVID <laughs> hack from Ragnar. <laughs> <laughs> Buy your tickets separately. <laughs> this sounds like drone bombing. <laughs> You sunk my quiet place. I actually was just going to spend a ridiculous amount of money buying seats. <laughs> you can rent Sorry, the theater. AMC. That's true. You totally can. Yeah. I've uh, been looking into that. We did that over uh, Christmas break. We we rented oh. the theater. Uh, six of us went. My 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 wife, myself, my my two daughters, and my folks, and we watched um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I didn't see this movie in the theater. I saw it last week in, in my kitchen while making and consuming fish of, of various types. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, uh, 
<laughs> you know, so, I didn't see The Godfather in the theater. I had a Game Gear yeah. with one of those antenna, and I was able to watch. The... <laughs> I didn't like it as much as everybody else. No, I don't know what I, they're talking yeah, about. My Game Boy I, Advance I played it fine, white. but yeah, <laughs> 12 frames per second, but it was... <laughs> And the yeah, smell yeah, of fish. Was, uh, this is awesome. Real fishy yeah, movie. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was pretty tasty. Felt healthy. Good. Healthy, a lot of protein. Fat. Yeah, a lot of protein. Good. Yeah. So then I moved from my kitchen to my living room and finished the movie <laughs> and the fish. I don't think you watched it in an optimal, even home experience, no. let alone movie no. experience. Yeah, I, theater I, experience. I haven't plugged in my TV in like seven months so well, you know how you've been watching these movies on the computer which is not a great wow. way to do it but also the the tv's pretty old and i you know i i don't think i have a stand so it's you know gonna be flat on the floor you gotta stand above it looking down <laughs> yeah more or less <laughs> trying to fillet these fish <laughs> 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 yeah sit indian style on the floor and <laughs> oh i just assume tom was taking chunks out of the side of the fish here i don't know <laughs> eating it like Gollum. Gollum, just like, yeah. yeah like he just slapped it out of a river 